All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Welcome to the J podcast. I am your host, Jahans Maniga, aka Twelve, aka Canadian Red Bull. Please make sure to like and subscribe to the Field of Sixty-Eight Media Network for content such as this. Other people representing their alma maters, just like I'm doing today. Season number two, guest number eight, a very, very special guest. He was named first team All East Kansas as a junior and senior in high school, averaging 17 points per game as a senior, including a 34-point performance. He was a member of the Big East All Academic Team and on the Dean's List his entire Creighton career. He was a reserve guard for the Jays during much of his career, becoming a fan favorite and an important piece of the Creighton culture during his time at the Hilltop. He is the pride of Shawnee Kansas. Welcome to the JTC, Tyler Clement. What's up, bro? Let's go get it. Thank you, bro. thank you, thank you. That was awesome. I don't, I don't get that every day, so I appreciate that. <laughs> hey, that's the one thing that everyone says when they come on the podcast. They feel that that's the best introduction they've ever heard, and I pride myself on it. How you doing, bro? I'm doing well. I appreciate that. How you been? Man, I'm living life, trying my best out here. You know how it is. Uh, <laughs> basketball is taking me some places that I never thought I'd be, but I'm enjoying every second of it. So where are you staying at right now? So I live in Roland Park. So it's a suburb of Kansas City, um, kind of near uh, downtown by about 10 minutes away. So have a house here I rent with a buddy and um, work nearby. So it's a pretty good spot. Easy money. And from what I'm hearing, you're quite the uh, champion or to be champion. I don't know if you really want to get into it. You had a game last night. Uh, we want to yeah. really get into it, but. Weekend men's league. Men's league is where I, you know, put my competitive basketball efforts. Now we won the last session, so we were riding high, and then we lost last mm -hmm. night um, in the tournament. Uh, so we didn't quite get the back-to-back done, but it, it's fun to stay competitive. Yeah, that's an unfortunate segue to what we have to talk about today. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. uh, the Arizona State basketball team rolled into Omaha, got a very close, very tough victory over the boys at home, winning 58 to 57. We had a chance to win it at the end, Ryan Nam's hard shot just felt short at the buzzer, uh, which surprisingly was the same play that Coach Rack ran for him to win at the buzzer when they were at the Paradise Jam. Uh, all in all, I know you got a chance to watch some of the game. What was your impression of the Jays and you know what went awry in the second half especially? Yeah, it looked like just offensively, they got a little bit stagnant. You know, they didn't have quite as many turnovers as they did in the first half. I think we only had like four turnovers, but kind of a combination of missing some open shots. I mean, some were decent looks and then also just not converting some chances that we had. Arizona State kind of started pressing a little bit and seemed to maybe mess, them, mess our squad up a little bit. But really, is, I mean, you can kind of look at the game, you know, there's that last play, but, you know, five for 11 from the free throw line was pretty tough in the second half, especially a couple of one-on-ones when, you know, every, uh, the, uh, once Arizona State took the lead, it seemed like we were just trying to get over that hump. It was like down two, down one, tied, and then we couldn't quite retake control of the game and, you know, give them credit. They got it done. But yeah, it was just a tough, tough home loss to finish on conference play, but non-conference play, I should say. But other than that, I mean, it's been a pretty good season so far, but yeah, that one's that one's tough going into conference play with, uh, you know, ha having chances to win is it's always makes it a little more demoralizing. The one word that we've been using on this podcast is patience. We must exercise patience for a young mm -hmm. team that hasn't had too much time to play together and get to really know each other on the floor. But this is another game where, you know, high turnovers. You mentioned that they only had four in the second half, but 14 altogether. 
uh, that Arizona State pressure kind of got to the boys and, you know, forced them to cough up the basketball. If you're Coach Mack, obviously in the next practices leading up to a game against Villanova to start Big East Conference, uh, what are you preaching in the locker room and, and in practice? Yeah, I mean, it's it's that it, they've been preaching that the last couple of games, obviously taking care of the ball. They did a great job against mm -hmm. BYU following a, you know, high turnover performance against Iowa State. You know, like Rob Anderson said that was the most turnovers Coach Mack's team has ever had at Creighton, which, again, it's part of that patience. It's not unexpected that a young team is going to have turnovers and make mistakes, but it's really preaching, taking care of the ball, especially going against a Villanova. You know it as well as anybody that you can't beat yourselves against them because they're not going to beat themselves. So you can't turn it over a lot and you got to stay disciplined on the defensive end. That's been the bright spot of this young team. And, you know, a couple of people have talked about it as well, but I've really loved their defensive effort. You know, again, last night, Arizona State's not a crazy good offensive team like a Villanova or a BYU will be, but this year defense seems to be really locked in from a team defensive standpoint. And so that's what's been encouraging while the offense I think is going to go up and down as a young team. Coach Mack this week's continuing to preach that discipline on defense. And, you know, the BYU game last week, he talked about in the pregame that, um, you know, they do a lot of shot fakes, BYU does, and nobody does more shot fakes than Villanova. So that's a good prep for them leading up to Villanova, the fact that they already worked on a di disciplined defensive game plan. And, you know, frankly, it's one of the few years where Creighton actually feel like we actually have a little bit of a size advantage over somebody like Villanova this year. And, you know, you saw it in the BYU game. So, might be able to exploit that a little bit, but it is going to be focusing on that discipline from a defensive end and then obviously, you know, limiting the turnovers if you can against a good disciplined Villanova team. I feel all in all, this team's been a pretty good defensive team. If you kind of look at, like you mentioned, how they're built, they're they're long, they're they're wiry, they're strong. Uh, they're able to switch in many different situations. I think Ryan Nehart is the only guy that they really don't want to switch off of, you know, just to not have that kind of matchup issue. Mm -hmm. uh, what does impress you about the Jays defensively? Because let's be honest, our history doesn't show that we're much of a defensive. No, no, not at all. That's what's <laughs> that's what's impressive from a from a young team standpoint. You know, it's it's one thing to be able to you know have like a one on one defensive approach and be a good defender, but the team defense. You know, you mentioned they haven't played a lot together offensively. Obviously, they haven't played a lot together defensively either. So, you know, them being able to grasp team defensive concepts, I think, is always the hardest part as a young player coming in, knowing that you have to be where you have to be on the floor defensively. It's a lot a lot that people don't understand. Obviously, you don't want to get beat one-on-one, -on -one, but you also have to be able to rotate and you got to be able to cover up any sort of defensive mistake as well as, you know, changing up defenses. So in the BYU game, they switched a lot of ball screens and handoffs, but then they also changed it up a little bit too to where they were hedging hard. And so kept BYU guessing a little bit, but their ability to change defenses every four minute segment or eight minute segment it's pretty impressive for a young team, you know, and that's, um, you know, we interviewed Casey Matthews at halftime of that BYU game, the um, video coordinator, and he mentioned that same thing. He's like, we're impressive with the defensive effort, but also the ability to switch things on the fly, which I think is tough with any team to do, but especially a young team. And that's been pretty impressive so far. And it's kept them in games where they haven't necessarily had the offensive performance that, you know, we're, we're accustomed to as Jays fans, but I think that's the beauty of it is that will travel if they can keep getting better offensively and keep that same defensive effort, they'll, they'll be in a lot of games. Before we move, let me tell you guys a little bit about our partners over at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. If you haven't signed up with Bet Rivers yet, now's the time because they're offering a $250 match bonus for your first deposit. But what sets them apart is that they require just one playthrough to turn your bonus into cash money. With their new Rush Pay instant approval, 
withdrawing your winnings is safer, more secure, and more reliable. With football season kicking off, get in on the get in on the action by going to betrivers.com today or by downloading the BetRivers iOS app. You must be 21 years or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I've been very impressed with Alex O'Connell and his approach to defense this year, especially where, you know, you could tell that his effort is really strictly on trying to shut off the opposing main uh, player on the other team. Uh, with Sharif Mitchell still being out, we're not quite sure what his status is going to be leading up to into Big East play. What's his um, leadership defensively going to mean for the Jays as they move into conference play? Yeah, it's, it's been huge. And, you know, he, like you said, he's kind of taken on that role of the best two or three guard on the other team. And, you know, you're, you're familiar with that as well. And so his ability and he's taken it on pretty well. I mean, there's been some games where obviously his shot isn't quite there. And then other games where he's, you know, scoring 15 or so a game. So, you know, you hope that it doesn't take away from his offensive effort, but he's buying into that defensive and that's what the team needs from him. And so, so that's been huge. And I think both him and, you know, Ryan Hawkins, the, sh the senior effort on the defensive end, Hawks pretty aggressive with his hands on hedges and done mm -hmm. a pretty good job that way. But um, yeah, I'd say AOC is going to be big for them in terms of just being able to, you know, outwork somebody on the defensive end and really just kind of take away that leading score. It's not always an easy task. You know, we saw it the other day with BYU, Barcelo still kind of went off, even though we were switching defenses. So that wasn't on Alex, that was kind of on everybody. And so mm -hmm. really, it's, but it's a matter of making the guys work. So, I mean, Barcelo had to work for all of those buckets and he's a good player for, for them, but, you know, making guys work and that's kind of the, the task when you're, when you're facing the leading guard on the other team. Ryan Hawkins, who has been kind of a godsend for this team, uh, especially offensively, had a really tough time last night. The last couple of games, I've been drawing some comparisons to another Blue Jay forward that I used to play with. I don't want to say his name because the comparisons are really going to start flowing in. But some of those moves, those pivots, those, you know, picking and popping, knocking down threes in the mid range with the floater look very similar to what number three used to do for the boys. Last night had a really tough game. What's it going to take for him to get back into form to what, you know, Blue Jays fans have been accustomed to for a couple of games early on in the year? Yeah, I, I think he'll he'll get back to doing what he's doing. He's a seasoned veteran, as we know. And, you know, sometimes you just have off games. He was getting open looks, um, just kind of wasn't quite falling. Even that foul at the very end of the game <clears throat> looked like it might be an end one. It just, you know, didn't bounce his way. It just bounced out. Yeah. So that's going to happen sometimes. And he was, you know, playing really well the last couple of games, I think back to back 25 point performances. But I do agree with you. Ryan has been great. Hawkins has been great this year in terms mm -hmm. of, you know, I knew he could shoot a little bit. I knew he could use crafty inside, but I think his ability to still kind of get, get a shot off with little floaters and pivots in the lane, kind of like you mentioned, but just to be able to score at kind of different levels, I think surprised me in a great way. And, you know, hopefully he can continue to do that. And, Obviously, as you get into Big East play, teams will start keying on him and, you know, other key guys in our starting lineup as well. So that's what, you know, the beauty of conference play is you know each other so well. So yeah. I think the fact that he can score at different levels and sometimes he can pose a, a matchup problem being, a, you know, a little bit taller than some of these uh, teams that play small, like we, we usually do, honestly, um, he can still be effective. And so he's been great. He's been a great senior leader for them this year that you know, I don't think we necessarily knew what he'd bring to the table. It's been a, it's been a great pickup. It felt like he was kind of rushing last night, like some shots just, not that the confidence wasn't there, it's just the execution wasn't where he would just either fling his or, or not follow through all the way the way that we're accustomed to seeing him do. 
so yeah, I agree with you. I feel like it's just he needs to see the ball fall. Obviously, mm-hmm. earlier on the game, those types of players, when they see the ball go in, their confidence builds and they start doing those, you know, miraculous plays, let's call them, uh, that that we see him do. But aside from just uh, him rushing, what kind of positions do you think Coach Mack needs to kind of put him in for him to be successful? You know, I think, you know, they're doing a lot of kind of that, or at least last night it seemed, and recently kind of double ball screens to where obviously Cogbrenner's going to roll and roll, pop, yeah. pop, and then Ryan Hawk either has a shot or he's going to be able to take his guy off the dribble and, you know, make something happen. And I think that's a pretty interesting and successful area. It'd be interesting to – you know, we're used to going small. If if Coach Mack looks at anything this year with either Hawkins at the five or even, you know, Kaluma, depending on his defensive prowess, but it also depends on the other lineup. But if, if Mack goes to any small ball this year or if he sticks with the kind of, you know, two forward lineup as well as, a you know, frankly, the Creighton starting lineup this year has been one of the tallest it's been in a while. And, you know, it'd be interesting if he plays him at all at the five to try to draw like a, a bigger man out to have to guard Hawkins at the five. But, Frankly, I mean, Ryan's pretty – Ryan Hawkins – got, I got to stop saying Ryan because there's so many of them. You know, three of them. <laughs> three of them Hawkins has done a five. great job, yeah, of just like, you know, he's going to be a guy that can move without the ball and maybe score even when the play is not necessarily for him just because within our offense too, when it's free-flowing up in transition, it's just about getting guys going into screens. And I could see Hawk, you know, slipping out of more ball screens just to create confusion on defenses, especially if teams start switching. We have to talk about it. The boys are known to let it fly, but it's not really falling for us right it's now. Flying, it's flying, yeah. It's, it's flying. It's not landing. <laughs> uh, 20% from three last night. I think they only made five. Uh, 38% from the field overall. How do we fix that? It's a great question. I mean, it's one of those, You obviously, you, you hope that, you know, you just find like a streak where you get guys get confidence. And they talked about it in the broadcast last night, too. Of, of Coach Mack had mentioned that, you know, he thinks it's a kind of a combination of some freshmen just kind of getting their legs under them and getting some, some of that confidence that we talked about. Because, you know, frankly, shots have been there and they've been good looks. They're just not quite falling. So you hope it's something that, you know, teams, teams that are young preach that as we get to February, they're going to get better and better. So you hope that that's the same thing with the shooting is that, as they get more and more game reps and more and more game shots, it's just going to start falling. Because obviously a lot of these guys, especially the young guys, you know, they were good shooters in high school. It's not like, you know, you were hoping that they were going to be a good shooter. So I think it'll be there. I think the other thing too, though, is when the shots aren't falling is, you know, having some of these guys recognize that they, they can take it to the bucket and, you know, not necessarily abandon the three point shot, but, you know, maybe if it's not falling, mixing in some some hard drives because this team, more than any, some of the recent teams, can really take it to the ball really well and score and finish really well. Guys like Trey Alexander have had some big big finishes late in games on some tough drives. And so, you know, it's not, not necessarily shying away from the three, but maybe a night like last night where it's just not falling, just taking it to the bucket and scoring another way because we can score a lot of different ways on this team, which is kind of nice. And so, but that's just, that's going to be, I think that's going to come. I mean, I, I think the shootings there, obviously we're, we, we lost some really good shooters over the last couple of years, so we're not going to quite get to last year's shooting level by any means. Right. But, you know, the, the three ball will be there. And I think it's just a matter of getting some confidence and getting some reps in. And then, you know, if it's not falling in, within a certain game, then, you know, maybe taking it to the bucket a couple of times and drawing fouls. Like we, we were able to do last night, draw some fouls, but just try to finish in other ways. 
Uh, also missing free throws, obviously, down the stretch. I think you mentioned it was, what, 5-4-11 in the second half. It's not going to help you win too many ball games, especially those close ones, right? Those close ones down the stretch, you really need to knock down those free throws. But yeah, I, I just think as the season goes on, you know, hopefully the shooting is going to get better. But I think for such a young team, we talked about it. I think defensively is where they kind of have to hang their hats on and getting easy stuff in transition because they are a bigger, more athletic team than what we're accustomed to seeing. Couple of standout Jays from their game last night. One of the Ryans, Kalkbrenner, 16 points, nine rebounds. Alex O'Connell, we mentioned him already. Obviously, what he does defensively. Also chipped in with 11 points, seven rebounds. Uh, just gonna need a couple more guys to, you know, chip in there. And I think they were able to win last night's game, but unfortunately, just one of those nights. Uh, you and I have both been in those locker rooms when we win close or we lose close games like that, I should say. What do you think Coach Mack's message is to the boys, you know, right after that game and, you know, what he's going to be preaching in practice? Yeah, I think it's going to be similar to what he's been preaching in terms of, you know, you can't dig yourself that hole of turnovers in the first half. We've been offensively seem to be fairly efficient when we haven't turned the ball over this year. I mean, granted, we've had shooting spells like we did in the second half last night where we, we stopped turning it over, but we couldn't hit anything, whether it was free throw line or three point line. So, you know, I think he's going to keep preaching, trying to be encouraging with this young team rather than, you know, kind of pointing out too much of the negative. Obviously, you got to focus on the turnovers, but also just encouraging the shot-making ability of guys. And, you know, a young team, you want to want them to keep that confidence offensively. And then, you know, we already touched on it, but defensively, especially this week leading into Villanova, is preaching that defensive um, discipline because had another pretty good defensive game plan last night, played pretty well, had a couple breakdowns that led to easy buckets um, for them late in the game. So, you know, it's one of those where, you know, one play here, one play there makes a big difference. The margin of error is really small. And that's just kind of preaching that defensive discipline is going to be huge on Friday. And um, overall, I mean, you know, it is a young team. And you look back eight and three in non-conference play, I think many fans would have probably taken that. Nine and two mm -hmm. would have obviously felt great. But, um, you know, certainly not, you know, a bad non-conference performance from this young of a team. And, and the Big East is going to be tough this year. And there's certainly opportunities for the Jays to play themselves up into that top half of the conference. It's funny that you mentioned, like, if at the beginning of the season, how we told fans, hey, we're going to be eight and three heading into Big East play, we would have all taken it. But because we've seen glimpses of how good this team actually can Always be. Always one more. Exactly. Do you, doesn't it feel like as a fan, you feel a little bit, not, I don't want to say short change, it's not the word that I'm looking for, but like, uh, we could have been 10 and one even or something along yeah. those lines. Well, you see the potential. So you see the glimpses and that. And again, it's, you, you hate to keep harping on the young team, but that's probably part of it is when they show those flashes of potential or, you know, a, a team that hasn't played a lot together. Once they put it together, like a BYU game, like a North Dakota State game, it's like, mm -hmm. oh, we can we can do this. And that's part of that inconsistency of a young team where, you know, then the next game against Arizona State, the shots aren't falling and they just couldn't quite pull it out. So. That is the frustration. And, you know, we've been through seasons like that. The margin of error is so small. Um, and mm -hmm. it's one play here, one play there that you lose a couple of close games that you could otherwise win. And that's the difference at the end of the year, too, of being a bubble team or a seven seed or not in the tournament at all. So it's uh, those those couple games are what, kind of what defines teams. And frankly, that's kind of why there's so many upsets in March Madness is because the five seed's not that different from a 12 seed. They just won one or two right. more games throughout the year. So it's that's the beauty of it. And, the, and when you're on the other end of the, on the loss, it's not quite beauty, but it is what it is. 
So, Crane fans, this is your weekly reminder from your podcast host, Jahans Madiga. Exercise patience for this year is going to be a roller coaster of a ride. We just all have to hang tight and, you know, go along with it. Cheer as much as we possibly can. Villanova comes into town Friday, like you mentioned. You know the place is going to be rocking. How do you think the boys are going to bounce back? I know I think they'll have energy and it'll be I frankly I think it'll be a pretty low scoring game in the sense of you know our defense will I think will show up and you know hopefully they don't get too amped up to where they go for shot fakes or you know get a little bit out of position you know if we can hit some shots and really keep that crowd into it early and maybe take an early lead I think it's going to be huge for us because you mentioned the energy will be there before game seven o'clock on a Friday night at CHI it'll be it'll be rocking It'll be great. And It'll so be if, rocking. We can, if we can maintain, you know, either close or even take a lead early on, because I think the, there'll be no lack for, of energy in the place. So it's just a matter of staying disciplined and then maybe hitting a couple more shots that weren't there last night. And, you know, Nova, they're really good this year. They're experienced, but they're not necessarily, they don't seem to be some of the Nova teams of like the 2016, 2018 to where they could just overpower and take over any sort of game. They start hitting mm -hmm. some threes, though they they'll they'll beat anybody in the country because they're that good. But you know we, we do have a little bit of size advantage against them. It seems like, and so you know I think I think they're going to respond well. I mean, frankly, a loss like this will kind of hopefully regroup them and kind of get them to focus really on Friday and really just kind of on the things that went wrong last night. And I think the crowd will help out in that as well. It'll be a fun one. We know a Jay Wright team is going to be super disciplined. They're not going to beat themselves. They're going to make all the right plays. It's just a, a matter of, you know, one-upping them, making a one more play than them. In a close game, I'm kind of expecting it to be, like you mentioned, not too much of a high-scoring game. I think it's going to be in the maybe mid-60s, you know, yeah. somewhere in that last. range. Mm -hmm. Right. And if the boys could keep it that way and, you know, kind of win a close one down the stretch, that's the kind of game that I'm expecting. Now, obviously, we could all be surprised. Who knows? We start making threes. We start opening up a pretty big league. Nova maybe panics. Who who knows what could happen, but yeah, I'm expecting a mid-60s game where, you know, hopefully we'll be able to pull it up, but that's why we have to tune in and 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 check it out. TC, we got to talk about you a little bit, brother. You know, since you're on the podcast, I need to know, when did you start playing basketball? When did basketball start to really matter for you? As long as I can remember, I mean, when I was really young, uh, frankly, I played all sports growing up. So I was playing, you know, mm -hmm. baseball, basketball, soccer. Hey, let's let's talk about that real quick, because we're part of that era where when we grew up, we played everything. And now it feels like kids are just focusing in on basketball and basketball alone and, yeah. and literally nothing else. Isn't that kind of weird? Like, let's just say, like, back in our day when we used to run camps and stuff, to see that kids are literally only playing one sport in the summertime. Yeah, it's, it's different. I mean, I, it was always funny growing up, but, you know, I always did, especially when I was real little, I did basketball, baseball, soccer, you know, those three sports. Mm -hmm. Started playing football in fifth grade, too. So then at one point, I'm playing like four sports, not all at the same time. But, you know, until high school, I was playing all four of those sports. And when I was real little, I mean, I remember winter was basketball, summer was baseball, and I was always playing soccer, too. So like, you know, that mindset was always just what I was in. And then got to high school, I actually played football and baseball my freshman year and eventually kind of focused on basketball once I kind of, you know, knew that was my favorite sport and knew that was my best sport. But it is different. I mean, it's interesting, especially especially before high school, focusing on other sports. I mean, it's focusing on one sport. You know, I think it's nice just to, you know, for, you don't really know what's going to be your best sport or your favorite sport or whatever. Just staying active is what I enjoyed. But it's it's evolving. It's different. I mean, I, I'm of the mindset that the more sports you play, the better. But at the same time, it's 
you know, to each their own. It's, it's just a different time, I guess, of just focusing on basketball year round um, at a younger age. And so it's, it's interesting. I, I, it's, it's definitely a little different. I remember hockey practices to soccer yeah. practices, you know what I mean? Up track, in Canada, you had to play track. hockey. <laughs> hey, that was a requirement. You don't play hockey, you're, you're a nobody. You don't, you yeah, don't you're an no outcast. one gives you any respect. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's kind of weird when I hear about like kids and like their upbringing now compared to like what we used to do back then. I just kind of find it interesting. I'm in the same mindset as you. The more sports you play, the more I feel coordination you might get, you know, some uh, sports footwork and whatever translates to basketball anyways, but hey, to each your own, I'm never going to tell a parent what to do at their job. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's, and you, you just hope that you don't then burn a kid out, but at the same time, mm -hmm. like I said, I've never had kids, so I'm not one to know right. what, what's the best approach. I just know what I did. You know? so. uh, we had Ross Farini on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. He was our first walk-on, so you're our second walk-on onto the podcast. I'm sorry that he had to beat you to the punch. Okay. But I know that the walk-on experience is certainly a little bit different. Um, it has its own pressures and it's demanding in its own way. Uh, I kind of want to go back to, you know, last night's game and what the walk-ons and the scout team is going to have to, you know, face, let's say, in these upcoming days and practices. After like a loss like that, what is that week leading up to the next game as a member of the scout team? You're a very important member of the scout team. Uh, one, obviously, playing the point guard position that had to put everybody in the right spots in order to give, you know, the starting five, the reserve, a look. So what are the, what is the scout team going to go through leading up to Villanova for these next couple of practices? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, especially a team like Villanova, you've got to give the guys a, a good look, you know, whether it's not only running their stuff, but providing good shot fakes. I mean, that's what they're going to be preaching all week with the scout team mm -hmm. is, just doing a ridiculous amount of shot fakes because it feels different for a team that doesn't do as many shot fakes, but Villanova is just so adept at that. So I remember, you know, obviously when you're a young walk-on, you maybe don't get it quite as fast, but once you're there a couple of years and, you know, I remember a week like Villanova or something's coming up, you know, I'm making sure all the new guys are on the same page with like, Hey, we have to do this for Villanova because this is what they're going to do. And if you're not giving them a good look, then, you know, nobody's getting better. So it really is focusing on what they do best and it's tougher off a loss, but I think that just kind of heightens the focus after that. Um, Villanova is going to draw attention anyway. So you'd have a lot of really good practices leading up to that regardless, but coming off this loss last night, you know, they're going to be you know dialed in on what Villanova does. The, whoever's running the scout or coaches that are, you know, leading the scout are going to be focusing on the scout team, not only giving us a good look from running their sets, but really just trying to do what they do and emulate what they do as best they can. And, you know, get the get the uh, shot fakes out of the way in practice. So that way, guys that go for shot fakes, you know, get in trouble then. And then they, they kind of hammer it in their head that they can't be going for that on Friday. But, you know, it's funny, just something as simple and disciplined or, or fundamentally sound as shot fakes is what we're talking a lot about. But it really does. It really does screw with teams. It's, it's kind of crazy. Just spacing and shot fakes, yeah. being disciplined is what's been Villanova's calling card. You're one of the rare guys who had to, you know, lead the scout team and then take off that gold jersey or that red jersey and jump in and play, you know, with some of the guys who are going to be in the rotation. What are some of the challenges that come with that? What are some of the things that, you know, you felt like you succeeded at and also struggled at in that role? Really, the only challenge was if we put something in new that week and maybe I didn't get like as many reps on it. Let's say we put a play specifically for a team. So uh, a defense is 
guarding us a ball screen a certain way. So we're going to put in one or two new plays. Um, kind of just learning that as best I can when I'm defending it rather than actually running it. Um, right. Other than that, I don't think it was too bad. I mean, that frankly, it, it kind of helped in some ways, um, just knowing the other team's uh, kind of plays really through and through as well as how we're defending it, how they're wanting to defend it. So, you know, like you said, when I've been play in a game where I'm playing quite a bit, then obviously I already know what they're doing as well as kind of how we're defending it. So it kind of helps see it from the other side, but, you know, not getting as many reps wasn't super important as long as I just had to make sure I stayed on top of, you know, what we're doing. Um, <clears throat> so whether or not I get one or two reps in the, with the blue squad, if you want to call it, um, you know, that's just a matter of kind of just, you know, asking a question, whether it's Chad or Maurice Watson, whoever was the point guard at the time, it's like, hey, we're doing this on this play. And then obviously everybody's really good about that. So kind of just making sure mentally I'm staying on top of things, which, um, you know, wasn't too bad most of the time as well. It was just kind of nice to flip back and forth sometimes. I think one of the advantages, and correct <laughs> me if I'm wrong here, of being on scout team is because you have to run so many different team stuff you kind of get a broader sense of like different styles and different ways that coaches want to play basketball, you know? So how has that helped develop, obviously not only uh, your performance as a player, but your basketball IQ, now that you're on the sideline and you're doing some broadcasting for the boys, uh, you're able to kind of detect and see styles on the fly. Am I right or am I wrong in saying no, that? Absolutely, absolutely. And and that's what was always kind of cool. And, you know, frankly, why I gave a lot of thought of going into coaching coming out of college is, you know, I liked learning different offensive styles. And obviously we get really accustomed to what we do best at Creighton. Right. Coach Max, obviously a great offensive mind. So our offense isn't always the same each year, but it has the same kind of flow and, you know, getting up and down, getting spacing. And then you see other team styles of play and it really does, for both both from a defense and an offensive perspective of, okay, this team wants to do this on offense and this on defense. It's like, oh, that's a little bit different than what we do, but there's so many different styles of play and different types of personnel. And, you know, you're, you're, you're right on the mark where you do learn so much about the game of basketball, kind of going into the X's and O's and then actually physically doing it as well in practice. And so um, it, it was really cool. You know, the last couple of years, I coached high school with an assistant here in town. So I was assistant coach at my high school and not doing it this year just for, you know, the demands of my actual career. But um, taking that into like the high school level was was always awesome. Kind of just showing being able to provide different looks or different ideas. Um, obviously, it's a different level of play, but at the same time, you might, maybe there's a wrinkle here, or a wrinkle there that can translate. And so to your point, it, it only heightened the basketball IQ. And it's it's I don't know, it's pretty fun to see the X's and O's. And now with doing some radio games for Creighton, it is fun to kind of break it down that way and recognize, okay, this team just defended it this way because they know Creighton really likes to come off the ball screen and do X, Y, and Z. So it, right. it really is interesting. And obviously, you and I both love the game of basketball. It's a fun way to continue to learn it. It's so crazy. Like, I vividly remember when you guys used to run, like, the, the I'm just going to pick on DePaul here for a second. But when you used to run that scout team, they were walking the ball up every time. They were looking for like weird post matchups, like for twos and threes as mm -hmm. opposed to for fours and fives. And I remember thinking like, there's no chance in hell I would ever go there and play there if we, if we play like this. But no, it's interesting to hear about like, you know, the, the different concepts that comes with the game of basketball. Because like, if you're an average fan, you're looking, you're just like, oh, guys are just running around until they throw the ball at the hoop. But there's just so much more intricacies involved in that and just so interesting to learn and you know like like you said you and I were, were both kind of 
suckers for that. We love learning about X's and O's in different mm -hmm. ways that people play. So, yeah, I would assume that you you being on scout team, and I guess I assumed right, was very you know instrumental in you learning more about the game itself, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's something that you don't really think about at the time, but you know, <clears throat> being able to kind of just articulate a certain type of offense or an action. Like there's plenty of teams run the same types of actions, but little wrinkles here and there just to fit personnel. And that's what Coach Mack does a really good job of too, is kind of catering a couple little tweaks to our main plays. Because maybe this year we've got a little bit taller lineup versus last year we've got a little bit better shooters. So running some of these plays, maybe from Mitch coming off the screen versus this year, maybe it's more of a coming off the screen and rolling into the post for Hawk or something like that. So there's just different stuff like that, that coaches do. And then, you know, everybody has like the same calls um, in terms of just base offenses. And then there's obviously a lot of, lot that can go off of that. I got to ask you, what other schools were you looking at to further your education? And why did you end up choosing CU? <laughs> Good question. I think Good you know question. where I'm going with this. I do, I do. So, um, <laughs> you know, I looked also at Tulsa University and actually Mercer for uh, being like a preferred walk-on similar to Creighton. Um, at the division one level. So those, and Navy actually as well, the Naval Academy. And so those kind of four schools were um, kind of throughout my Ooh, senior I could see you at Navy. You're so disciplined <laughs> to be good. Yeah. They, they actually were talking to me quite a bit into my junior year. Um, and then at the D2 level, I got a lot of scholarship offers from kind of some local schools. So like Rockhurst University, uh, Central Missouri, Drury, uh, Baker University. There's all these kind of, there's a lot of good D2 basketball in the area. I mean, Northwest Missouri fans are becoming familiar with Ryan Hawkins. They've won a couple national championships the last couple of years. So Central Missouri won one when I was there in high school or excuse me, in college too. So a lot of good basketball options. Um, what made me fall in love with Creighton is, uh, you know, the basketball, obviously, number one, having the ability to compete at that level. The fans were great. The, the school was great. And then I had a really good post on one of my unofficial visits that showed me around in the weight room um, with the Canadian Red Bull on his on his weight sheet. So I'd say you're a part of that. <laughs> I love having guests on who I influenced coming to school <laughs> with me. <laughs> you're like maybe like the six or seven guests that I've had were like, I had a hand to do with their decision to come to see you. So I just love to remind everybody out there that all these great guys that were on campus, yeah, I, I had a little something to do with that. <laughs> it, it was a great visit. We got to watch our College World Series game, mm -hmm. uh, right? I don't remember yeah. who the two teams that were playing. I feel like Oregon State was one of them because there was a whole bunch of orange in the crowd. Yeah. 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 But uh, CWS is always a good time, so it's a good time to have recruits on campus. How wild has it been for you to be on the broadcasting side of things, having played, you were on campus for five years, uh, you know everything that there is to know about, obviously, Coach Mack and his staff, how he likes to run things, and we talked about your wealth of knowledge basketball-wise, just having been on the scout team and learning all these different types of offenses. So how crazy it is that now on the back end of it, you get to sit down and actually talk the game of basketball uh, obviously in such an eloquent way. If for you guys who are listening to the radio broadcast against BYU, that was TC on air uh, giving you the breakdown. So how cool has it been for you to be on this side of things? It's really cool. I mean, we've talked about it. It's just fun watching basketball and breaking it down. So to be able to do it courtside for a team like obviously Creighton that we're all really familiar with is makes a lot of fun. And it is helpful knowing, you know, a play just happened. I, I can I can almost tell you exactly what's going through Coach Mack's mind as he you know, he turned the ball over. He put somebody in. It's like, okay, that person, you know, shouldn't have been there, should have been here. So it is nice to 
be able to have that perspective, but also, you know, just talking the game of basketball, breaking it down, you know, letting people know what kind of happened there or, you know, kind of taking you behind the scenes a little bit of what, you know, Coach Mack and the coaching staff are going to be looking for in certain situations. So um, I'm cer certainly uh, still trying to keep getting better. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly new in the last couple of years to the radio game, but it's fine. I feel like every game I feel more and more comfortable with it. And not that I was feeling nervous at all. It's just, it's, it's a little different knowing you're always live on the air, but it's, it's a lot of fun. It's really enjoyed. And I've got another one coming up against Georgetown and I'll probably hopefully do another one or two more in conference play. So we'll see. Uh, we definitely need to keep you out there because I'm not going to lie. I had a chance to listen to a couple of them. You sound like you know what you're talking about. So let's see what the future holds for you. <laughs> let's see what the future holds for you in that one. <laughs> Couple of questions I gotta ask you before I let you go. I know you got a busy day ahead of you. Uh, standard questions I ask everybody that comes on the podcast, and I kind of put you on the spot. So let's see what your answer is gonna look like. Favorite right. college arena to play in? Favorite college arena, I'd say, kind of a tie between. I liked Xavier. They had a really good. Mm -hmm. I'll do one in conference play. Xavier um, always kind of had it rocking, and then and I guess what your second one is gonna be. Do what? Can I guess what your second one was going to be? You can. I don't know if you'll get it, but you can guess. I, I don't know why I feel like you would say Butler just because of the history of it all. You just strike me as a guy who would really yeah. just relish being in that so, moment. So Butler would be tied with Xavier, I would say, as well, in, in mm -hmm. terms of conference play. And, and I, I, I had some good games at Butler, too, which really helps. But, yeah, the, this history of Hinkle is kind of tough to beat, especially when, you know, we had a couple top 25 matchups against them that were really fun. So, um, I'd say Butler, Xavier. And then if I went with like a non-conference game, like when we played at Gonzaga, just kind of a different arena. Um, Rocking. They, they brought it from the from the get-go. <clears throat> um, that, that was fun because it's like 6,000 people and there are the student sections were there like two hours before. So, <clears throat> you know, those were good ones. That's the beauty of it. We were able to play in a lot of fun arenas. Um, well, BYU, for example, we played at BYU and that's like 21,000. It was insane. Um, yeah. No, no alcohol at those games. And yet they still brought it. So, you know, I mean, Creighton, we, we love that we sell beer at uh, CHI, but um, BYU, they they had a lot of fans and they were really loud when we played there. That was a that was a fun game. I feel like energy drinks up there can, can really do some different to you that maybe beers and, and vodka sprites can't. <laughs> I don't know what I, I I don't know what they can and can't drink, but though they can't drink beer and that they still were able to bring the energy. So that was impressive. Favorite ba college basketball player growing up? Growing up, uh, Keith Langford from KU, lefty. Of course, I have to be a KU guy. <laughs> yeah, I grew up a KU fan, but Keith Langford, I, I love those kind of mid two thousands KU guys, and and. You know, it was fun talking with Nick Bob. We were talking about radio, but Nick Bob played there and actually, I think, roomed with with Keith his freshman, sophomore year um, at KU. But, um, yeah, those kind of early, mid-2000s KU teams were fun to watch, like Kirk Heinrich, Nick Collison, and Keith Langford, Aaron Miles, great point guard to watch. So kind of those Miles and Langford, I just love those guys, and Langford with the lefty swag. By the way, Keith Langford, an absolute legend in Europe. He's been out here for a decade-plus, killing the game. And he's played in EuroLeague, Euro Cup, all those high level, uh, yeah. all those high level leagues. So like all you basketball buffs out there who are wondering where some of these guys are, a he's couple of them rolling. are still in Europe. Yeah, yeah, a couple of them are still in Europe making some great money, you know, yeah. still playing basketball at a very high level. Favorite restaurant to eat in Omaha? I'm going to go with Lisa's, stay on the breakfast side of things. 
Um, okay. I like a good brunch, and there's some good spots, but I'll go with Lisa's. Just that really hits home. A lot of a lot of good brunches there. Surprisingly, you and Toby Hegner have that in common. That's what he said when he was on the podcast as well. Yeah, I can. Man, I'm so happy that you're finally able to step into the J with me, TC. This was so much fun, bro. Uh, let the people know. Obviously, you mentioned that you're going to be on the broadcast on the 28th, right? If I'm not September mistaken, in Georgetown. Yep. Uh, do you know what the future dates are going to be for your next broadcast appearances so that people can have an eye out for you? We're, we're figuring out the non-con or the rest of the conference schedule here soon. So mm -hmm. the schedule right now is through uh, January 1. Um, so hopefully get, you know, another couple in the conference play. But we'll, we'll see. I, I enjoyed it. As many as I can get, it's fun. But, uh, you know, we have a good stable of guys that fill in for Nick Baugh. Um, so a lot of good guys that can fill in. And it's just fun to be sitting courtside calling some games. Bro, I'm so happy that I got a chance to chop it up with you on the podcast. I love you so much. I appreciate you so much. Can't wait to see you this summer. Obviously, you got some special dates coming up, so we'll see how, how everything goes. But uh, until then, obviously, stay safe, stay in touch. Uh, and, you know, you know how we are, bro. As soon as we get back together, it's like nothing's ever changed. So I can't Absolutely. wait to make it all happen. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It's been great. and glad to hear you're doing well over there. Yeah, everybody else, make sure you like and subscribe to the Field of 68 Media Network so you can get more content such as this. If you guys keep listening, I promise to you I'll keep on talking. TC, I appreciate you, my guy. Uh, have yourself a good day. Stay safe. And as always, go day. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it.